So Anna, Anna Vitarte? Mm-hmm. Man, I did it. I put you a cheat sheet there in front of you. You can look at the album if you need. Anna Vitarte. I mean, I'm seeing it. I have it on my computer here. I just need to know how to pronounce it. Anna Vitarte. Sweet. All right. You ready for us? Well, I'm glad to have my good friend Ursian Anna Vart. Okay, let me say that again. Anna Vitarte. Okay, I got that. When I think I know you, it's funny how I run to. I make believe in a preconceived perception. Oh no, I guess I'm running too fast. But things that really won't. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Erskine Anavitarte. He's a singer-songwriter, he's an adoption advocate for Holt International, and he's a spokesman for racial reconciliation. So Erskine stopped by to chat about many things, including his career as a college basketball player for East Tennessee State University, for his love of music and how, from a young age, uh, he just felt the call to use music for the glory of God. We talk about adoption and orphan care and why that's such an important ministry, uh, not only for him and his wife, but for the church at large and how the church should really uh, help step in and be there for orphans and foster kids in our communities. We'll also discuss the inspiration for his latest album, Look Up, which we feature in a few tracks on this podcast. Let's join our conversation right now. Thanks for joining me. I got your name right. Yes, you you recovered. Yes, I did. That <laughs> Quickly. Was good. So, want to talk about a lot of things. I mean, you're a, a singer songwriter. Yeah, there's a lot going pastor, on. Pastor, there's a, adoption, orphan care advocate. Well, I guess you could say NBA um, basketball minister, because pastor minister. would denote that I'm shepherding a group of people, which I'm not. Uh, yeah, minister. Okay, minister. Yeah. NBA. Basketball fan, college uh, basketball yeah, fan. Yeah, college basketball fan. Yeah. <laughs> NBA. <laughs> so I want to start just about your life and career. So you grew up in Texas. Grew up in Texas, yeah. So which I automatically like you. My wife's from Texas. People, great state. Yeah, people will listen to this and they'll be like, man, that guy has a lot of confidence. And then they'll hear that he's from Texas. And, and they'll, like, that explains uh, it. Okay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. A lot of swagger. Yeah. Did you always um, know that you were going to be a singer, songwriter? I mean, were you playing guitar at age of three or something like no, that? No, that wasn't uh, the case for me. I actually am one of those people that, and I guess this will be one of my talking points when I go to colleges and universities, is that the Lord very seldom draws a straight and direct line to mm-hmm. what it is that you're going to be doing, especially when there's when he gifts you with so many opportunities and yeah. so many influences and people that come into your life. And so there's a lot of times when music was at the forefront like it is now of my life, and it's been times when it's in the background of my life. But it's always been there. It's just been season, timing, and opportunity. Mm-hmm. You played basketball in 
in college, right? So you played for East Tennessee State University. Yeah, say it again. East Tennessee State <laughs> University. I actually had them winning a game in the first round. They didn't. But, uh, as did I. Come on, um, Bugs. Let's go. So you played basketball in high school and college. Played basketball in high school and college. Was in the band in high school and college. Doing sports and music at the same time, right? Yeah, so pretty pretty crazy schedule I, I kept I'm, I'm when guessing, I was young. Yeah. So early in the morning till late at night, I was doing something on yeah. one end of the building or another. So do music and basketball have anything to do with each other? I mean, there's like a poetry when you're playing basketball, right? I mean, I feel like there's a certain rhythm that you get into when Mm -hmm. you're playing musical notes and when you're, you know, engaged in band or concert Mm -hmm. band, jazz band. I mean, there's a certain flow to it. And I think the thing there is like rhythm, like you need rhythm to like play well in band and you need rhythm on the court. Yeah. Uh, And so I guess two of those things kind of synced in their own way. I also played basketball in high school. Come on. I didn't have rhythm, but let us know. I was what, pretty good. What's going on? We played here? for Christian school. We played we played like fifty games a year. We had tournaments. We got okay. second in our state, Illinois. Among Christian schools. Okay. I mean, so, you know. You kind uh, of bracket that but among it still Christian happened, schools. You know? I mean, uh Were you a standout player? I was like the I was like I was a starter. Okay. You know, so there's that. Well, what option were you? First option, second option, like who's taking the shot? No, we had some ball hogs on our team. Okay. And we had some tall guys that were actually better than me that okay. we wanted to be shooting. But they were better than you. Yeah. I mean that I guess wasn't people hard. from Illinois can I say that hard. sort of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I worked hard, you know, to be on the team, but I enjoyed it. So I always appreciate basketball players. That's fun. I feel like I'm doing the interview now. Yeah. So like exactly. I got you in the crosshairs now. Like what was your average? Do you still remember? I probably averaged like eight or nine points or something like that. I That's was a, solid. I was a good rebounder. Yeah, you know, you're a contributor. Uh, defense. I, I would have averaged more if they would have, you know, given me the ball. But you and know. you got second in state. We did. Yeah. You should have left that part out. Yeah. Hey man, we went to state. It's better than third. <laughs> um, so talk to me. So you're you played basketball uh, in college, and then after that, was it a straight line to a career, a singing and no, a songwriter, or no, no, kind of no. what? So you went like to I, seminary. We're right? not doing straight lines here. <laughs> There'll be no straight lines okay. in this entire interview. And so you go from Texas all the way to Tennessee, in which we said, what was the college? East Tennessee State University. Yeah, go Bucks. And uh, from East Tennessee State University back to the state of Texas, where I promptly went to seminary mm-hmm. at Southwestern Theological Baptist Seminary. So let me ask you this. So you're you're playing basketball in high school in Texas. Did East Tennessee State recruit you? And say, I want we want you to play for us here. What yeah, drew you to that school? They did. So I was looking at going to Penn State mm-hmm. because I really liked their academic prowess and some of the things that I'd heard about the university. I actually started watching them uh, when I was in high school, their college basketball team. Mm-hmm. I think they, the years when they had Pete Lasicki and uh, Calvin Booth and some of their standout mm-hmm. players and really liked their approach to the game, seemed to be a hard-nosed team, good academic school. And so that was kind of intriguing to me. And so I started sending some recruiting tapes to Penn State University and in the process of that, they had two coaches that were on their staff that were going down to assume head coaching positions at East Tennessee State mm. University who had intercepted my recruiting uh, like, videos. Want this guy. And they said, well, before you go and visit Penn State, why don't you come and visit East Tennessee State and uh, see if that would be something. We're going to run the same type of system, same kind of offense, same uh-huh. type of program. And so that was really intriguing to me to kind of get a fresh start. What I didn't know in the process of that is with a fresh start, there's a whole cleaning house thing that happens there. Mm. And so I played four years in relative obscurity. The years after I left East Tennessee State, they went to the NCAA tournament two years in a row. Mm. And so their, their program has been revived, and they have a really strong program, obviously, uh, again. But I was there in some of their not-so-strong years. 
part of the rebuilding phase. Rebuilding. So put them on my back. You're playing basketball at East Tennessee State University, playing college basketball, Division One basketball. It's pretty cool. Yeah. What was going on in your life that you said, you know, I, I really want to go into the ministry and I want to go to seminary? Yeah. So my first year uh, in college, the Lord actually called me into ministry mm-hmm. and I was so excited. I felt like there was a direct word from the Lord. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was supposed to be doing ministry. I knew that my life was going to be set apart and there was going to be a different trajectory of my life. And I called my pastor who was back in Texas at the time. He had been a graduate of uh, Southwestern. Southwestern. And so I said, hey, the Lord has you know, given me a call to ministry. I'm ready to start. How do I get signed up? You know, I didn't know anything about the whole the seminary process. And at that time, Southwestern didn't have a college. So he said, that's great. Uh, why don't you graduate from college? And then you call me back. And I'm thinking, I'm a freshman. <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing here for the next four years? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just a really uh, amazing four years in college because I actually, you know, being a not just a Christian, but a Christian minister on a college basketball mm. team was just a tremendous platform to be able to share the gospel. And by the time I got to seminary, there was no doubt whether or not I was going to follow the Lord. Like I had been mm-hmm. through the fire. And uh, Were you involved in like a fellowship of Christian athletes or a campus? I did everything. At- everything. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I was in the FCA, the FCA leader, I believe, or Campus Crusade leader was actually our chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, did the BCM, mm-hmm. I did Campus Crusade whenever I could. Any Christian fellowship I would be a part of whenever I could. Mm-hmm. I actually started a basketball Bible study, mm-hmm. and then that expanded to the university, and then it expanded to several universities. I was a member at Heritage Baptist Church while I was there in college mm-hmm. and just very active on the mission field, started getting doing overseas missions while I was in college. Oh, that's great. And uh, just really neat platform. So you you go to seminary. Uh, what was seminary like? Hated it. You didn't like it. <laughs> Hard work and just a lot. Yeah. No, the thing that tricked me about seminary, and I say it tricked me, it was just really my immaturity that kind of kicked in. But I had been in an environment for four straight years where if I walked into the locker room, somebody is going to say something to me about my Christianity. It's going to come up as a subject. I'm... Very verbal and very aggressive when it comes to standing out in my faith. Mm-hmm. And so guys that are wanting to live a very worldly life, like the the admixture of that, we could have had a reality TV show every time that I stepped into the locker room yeah. uh, when I was in college. And then being on the university campus and then all the temptations that are there and then weekends mm-hmm. and then being singled out as one of the uh, basketball players and just different things and then classes. And then, you know, East Tennessee State has got this very large population of uh, homosexuals. They have Gay Pride Week and just a very, mm-hmm. it was just a very interesting time. If my life could have been a reality TV show, mm-hmm. that would have been amazing. And so when I got to seminary and walked into this rather sterile environment in which I'm looking around at all these people who are talking about living the Christian life, but then there's, there wasn't, for me, a connection between actually living it and going out and reaching people with the gospel, like one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And so I remember sitting in my evangelism class in uh, the School of Evangelism at Southwestern is the Roy J. Fish School of Evangelism. Mm-hmm. I actually had him as a professor when I started there and um, just thinking, this is such a strange environment for me. I don't think I belong here mm-hmm. because I should be outside of the walls of this place sharing the gospel. Yeah. And so It I, is an intense, you know, seminary is like a... And it, a unique season of life that isn't like any other season of life where it's right. just intense, focused, and study. 
preparing you for the rest of your life in, in many ways. Sure, sure. And I wasn't prepared to make that shift there the first mm-hmm. year there, and so I did pretty poorly. So you you went to seminary, graduated from seminary, eventually, eventually. <laughs> hey, I know the feeling. I'm... Oh boy! That and was... then uh, what launched your singing and songwriting career after that? So simultaneous to all of this, I was always doing music. Mm-hmm. So in college, I was in the band, marching band, the wind ensemble, the jazz band, the men's singing ensemble, mm-hmm. and I took private lessons singing. And so music was always. If I wasn't playing basketball, then I was doing something in music. Also had a group that would write songs, and we, uh, you know, just we just we thought we were the next boy band or whatever that was going to be, and so we did that in our spare spare time if there was such a thing, and so music was always there. I did music actually a little bit while I was in seminary, played in the jazz band there, mm-hmm. and guitar ensemble, and just different things like that. And so I just always wanted to dabble in music and keep musical things going. You also, besides your singing songwriting career. You are an advocate for orphans and adoption. How did that come about? Right. So we don't take any straight lines anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> Not anywhere in this interview. It's like, how does this fit together? Like, where's the music come in? So music is there sort of in the background. I'm raised by my grandparents as an only child mm. in Temple, Texas. And I meet my would future be wife in seminary. And she's from Colorado. And I met her, she's actually a great student there. <laughs> I met her whole entire family as they came down for her graduation. And I thought to myself, this is a beautiful picture, I think, of the gospel. She's got four biological siblings and she's got five adopted siblings. Mm-hmm. Multicultural, multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. kind of mixed there. And I thought, how amazing. And it just kind of put a thought in the back of my mind, what what if my family looked like that? Mm-hmm. And so just kind of in the back of my mind, that was there. And opportunity came for that uh, to be a reality when my wife and I, we couldn't have kids. And so we thought to ourselves, well, what's the extension of how we live out the gospel and how we um, Mm. expand our family? And so we started looking at being a foster family. We did foster to adopt, and then we were able to adopt our two kids through that program in Texas. And uh, we're currently a registered, licensed foster family here in Tennessee as well. And so we've just kind of continued that on with the hopes to be able to do as ministry to as many kids as possible. Um, one of the extensions, I guess, the bridge where this comes together is, as a music artist, I'm going around and doing concerts, and one of the things that I get to do is use my platform uh, for the advancement of an organization called Holt International mm-hmm. that works somewhat similar to Compassion International in that you sponsor children and you try to find um, appropriate you know, settings for them to hear the gospel as well as they can actually go all the way through international adoption, if that would be an option for people that go through Holt. Mm. So do you travel overseas sometimes, or do you do some travel I do. for them? Yeah. Well, not for Holt. I do travel for the Erskine music mm-hmm. portion of that, and where I can, I share information. Yeah, that's, that's a great ministry. You know, there's been kind of a renaissance or a surge among evangelicals when it comes to adoption, orphan care, which Really good to see with mm-hmm. organizations like Focus on the Family and others that are really empowering people. You know, the church and David Platt has really spoken into this sure. quite a bit yeah. about encouraging the church to to adopt. Um, Doctor Moore, who's a, you know has written a, a book, Adopted for Life, that has been well received. Yes, and inspired people. But one of the things that I think sometimes people miss is that 
it's a calling of God, but there's difficulties and it's not, it can be messy, it can be hard. So what, what are some of the things that when you're talking to parents who are thinking about doing foster care or thinking about doing adoption, what are some of the things you, you tell them and prepare them for this kind of Yeah, life? so that's, that's a good question because I think people just need to approach it honestly. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I always tell people is this is not, you know, it's not a poster card, Christmas card kind of lifestyle. I mean, there's some rough things that you've got to deal with. And we have never in foster care and even in adoption had a child come to our home that has not been in some type of traumatic situation. And so when you start there, depending on how long that's been a cycle, Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at a long period of time in which you're going to be working through some things. So if you're not geared to the idea of doing ministry first, Mm Then you're gonna you're gonna be wholly frustrated. I mean, there were some kids that came into our care. I think the only thing that we did in the time span that we had them was to basically nurse them to better health mm. because they were always in the hospital. It seemed like every week, or there was some kind of visit or some kind of thing medically that we had to, you know, just compensate for in our lives to be able to get those kids to a better place. And so you've got to know that going in. And then accept and receive what the Lord gives you as a result of that. And there'll be blessings and joy mm-hmm. on the other side of that, but it's going to come through struggle. It's a great picture of the Christian life. Are you encouraged by the response of the church in the last several years to orphan care and and uh, adoption? I am. I think there's a lot more people who get it. Um, and mm-hmm. then there's, you know, you still run in pockets of people who think that that's only for a specific, you know, you have to be a particular type of Christian mm-hmm. to be able to do that. That's not for everybody. And, you know, I would just say that before you write yourself out of that category, really look at what a biblical response and living your faith out may look like, because, you know, it's kind of like my evangelism that comes through my music and comes through a lot of things that I do. You know, I was sitting back one day and I was lamenting and saying, well, you know, I'm not like, you know, these famous evangelists that I've read about in textbooks. And the Lord just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, because you're not them, and I didn't call you to be them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we put up an ideal picture in reference to adoption and and those type of things, and we say, well, I'm not like that family, or Mm -hmm. we don't have, you know, the same type of resources that they have. No, you're who you are because the Lord made you who you are, and uh, He's the one who makes the difference. Mm -hmm. And so if you'll just submit yourself, then I find that that's a good place to start. I guess another, another question about this is what and how important is the role of the church for families who are involved in foster care or, or adoption, kind of forming a community around around the families that are doing yeah. this. Yeah. So we had a very supportive church when we were in Texas. Um, I was on staff at the church, and so they got to see in their leadership mm-hmm. that modeled. The, actually, the senior pastor of the church had adopted several girls from China as well. Mm-hmm. And so in the whole entire pastoral staff, there's an example of what mm-hmm. adoption looked like and just that type of care ministry. And I can remember numerous times when there were people, when we would get a placement, that they would just kind of flood our house with, you know, how can we support you guys? How can we love on you guys? And I think that's a helpful model. There are some churches that are more intentional to set aside a program to do that. And then even in some of the smaller churches, I've been encouraged that people have just sort of rallied around and intuitively have said, how can we as the body of Christ come alongside this family and share in the ministry that they're doing? And so that is very encouraging to see that I can't speak you know, for all the churches that are out there, you would probably know more than I do kind of the statistics and where we're at as evangelicals, but I've been encouraged from what it is that I've seen. Well, 
Well, if you're a parent like me, you know that your kids are asking pretty difficult questions. Questions about race, questions about gender, questions about sexuality. As parents, how do we answer those questions? Well, the ERLC is hosting a conference this August on Christ-centered parenting in a complex world. We're going to have a variety of voices and experts to speak. Russell Moore, Sally Lloyd-Jones, Jim Daly, Jen Wilkin, Crawford Luritz, Phil Vischer, Nancy Guthrie, Danny Aiken, Lauren Chandler, Eric Mason, and many more. So we invite you to come join us in Nashville on August 24th to 26th. And if you use a coupon code, WAYHOME, you'll get a 20% discount. So go to ERLC.com events and get signed up for the 2017 ERLC National Conference, Christ-Centered Parenting in a Complex World. So I have here your album, uh, Look Up. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired this and some of the, the music on here? Yeah, so that's my second album that I've been able to uh, complete here in Nashville. And uh, you're going to take it, and I don't even know if you have a CD player in your car, but... I do have a CD player in my car. Do you still have a CD player in your car? I do. Man, you're going to rip that thing open, you put it in there, you be Old like, school. I actually, I'm actually going to do exactly what you described. I'm going to put it in my <laughs> CD player. Because we're about the same age, and so we are. you remember that feeling when, like, you would get a new album, oh, and you like awesome. rip all the plastic yeah. off, yeah. and like you're going through this whole awkward motion and trying not to crash your car, and you put the CD in, you're just like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna listen to this. Yeah, there's nothing like there's that. There's nothing like that. So anyway, you'll get to experience that again today. Hopefully, you'll enjoy all the songs. But that's the second album that I've been able to complete while I've been in Nashville. This week marks my four year anniversary being in Nashville, mm-hmm. and so we're excited that. That was inspired by everything else that has inspired me, which when we did our first album, which was called Let's Ride, mm-hmm. first Nashville album, that's actually my fourth album. But my first Nashville album, I submitted about 40 songs to my producer, mm-hmm. and uh, we obviously couldn't record all of them. <laughs> and he said, don't worry, we'll do another album. And so these were some of the extra songs, wrote some more songs for this album, and I think that the project turned out really great. It's a great, I think, representation of kind of what I do. I write pop, country, hip hop, R and B, ballads, soul. So from a Christian vantage point. Yeah. A pretty eclectic skill set. That's, that's it is. There's cool. no straight lines. Yeah. You told me that, yeah. Um I, I'm guessing when, when you do like each album, you know, I'm not a musician, but I'm a writer, so like you I'm just thinking about when I write a book, you have an idea that you're really excited about and then once you get a contract, you're like, Oh man, I actually have to write this thing. So you gotta go you gotta go, we gotta actually write it sit down and write it. But then when it's finished, you kind of sit back, you're like, yeah, I, th- I think I like how that turned out. Is that kind of how it is for you? I mean, you, all those hours in the studio and yeah, it's a little... just kind of grinding it out. And then are you just, okay, that turned out pretty well. Like, how, What's the process like for you? Like, No, um, it's a little different as an independent. Like, I don't have anybody that's kind of over my head saying, hey, we've got to do it this Here's way. A deadline. Um, but I am pretty, I think I'm more eager than anybody else would be to get quality music in the hands of people. And since I write in so many different genres, it's been interesting to see the response that I get with different types of genres. And so mm-hmm. literally, I can go to a concert and tailor the concert to the audience that's going to be mm-hmm. in front of me, whether it be college, whether it be little kids, whether it be adults, whether it be older, white, 
small church, evangelical, Southern, and I'm saying that because I'm from the South and I've been in those churches before. I don't do my hip hop songs, as many (laughs) of my hip hop songs when I'm in those churches, but I'm still really well received because I can craft, Mm -hmm. you know, some of my slower, more contemporary songs uh, in some of those settings. And so it's just a neat process. You know, we we grind it out and we we pray and pray and pray Mm -hmm. and pray and pray and pray and pray. And this particular concept for this album comes from the song Look Up, which I don't I don't know if that's the strongest song on the album, but it is the song that I believe the Lord had used the most to reach lost people. Mm-hmm. And since I wanted that to be sort of in the background of everything that I thought about, then I wanted to put that as the title track of this album. I'm curious too how you're, you know, you, you've got a you got an MDiv from from Southwestern. You went to Southwestern, so you've got a theology degree. You're also a minister. So how does that? Infuse like your your singing and your writing, and does that kind of how do those how do those things work together? Yeah, so I mean, there's some great artists that are out there that literally like Shylin and folks like mm-hmm. that um, who can use systematic theology, which is kind of my concentration in mm-hmm. uh, my MDiv, and they can actually put that to rhyme and to rhythm. Um, and then there's some people, you know, Lecrae and others uh, that are very good at taking a cultural element and putting that to rhythm and rhyme. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Needham is another artist that I think mm-hmm. of who's able to do that. And I just think that having a rich theological knowledge helps you to not sing heresy. Yeah. <laughs> if I could just say it plainly, there's yeah. been a lot of artists that I've listened to and I've thought, man, they've got a great voice. They're super talented. The writing just kind of falls into heresy and, you know, one or two lines. Yeah. And that makes a You're difference. Like a- a few classes would have really helped them. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. You know, if they had such access to those things, but you know, it's it, one I, of one of the things that I'm actually most encouraged about this generation of Christian, whether they write quote Christian music or they're singer songwriters that are Christians. You know, what however that distinction is, and it, sometimes yeah. the lines are blurred. But there seems like a more theological robustness with this generation of Christian songwriters. Do you agree with that? Um, I think that's probably the case. I'm not sure, you know, it's kind of like when you grow up, what are you going to be when you're an adult? And you look around and you're like, wait a minute, I am an adult. I am an adult, yes. (laughs) I think I should be doing something by now. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of like looking around and all of a sudden I woke up and I felt like there was this big, and I didn't detect this when I was growing up, but I felt like there was a massive uh, gaping hole in uh, discipleship among those that were in the older generation. Mm-hmm. You start to look to them and, you know, ask them, you know, penetrating questions and think theologically through things. And there doesn't seem to be a depth of answer there. And I thought, well, how did that get to be that way? And why was it that way? And I don't know all the answers to that, except to say that I think that there's another generation that came behind that that said, we can't just go into formalism or to mm-hmm. go into ritualism or to just do our traditions just because we do our traditions. We've got to actually know why it is that we're doing what it is that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so with that type of approach sort of as a generation and now millennials that are coming up and thinking some very similar thoughts about what is the purpose of the church? What mm-hmm. are we actually supposed to be doing in reference to what it is that we're saying? I think it's bringing out some of those, some of the depth of having asked those questions and finding answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Well, listen, man, I, I appreciate you stopping by and yes, thanks for having me doing the podcast. I encourage people to um, go to your website, erskinmusic.com. We'll, erskinmusic.com. We'll put, a, we'll put a link in the show notes and check out this new album, Look Up. Uh, your music is on Spotify, Spotify and, Reverb Nation. Yeah. And it's new ish. Yeah. 
That's great. And I encourage people to listen to this music. Appreciate your ministry and your your heart for um, orphans and orphan care and everything that God's called you to do. Thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Just remember, in my end-